in the Old Testament when they should have been looking for Him. They were trying to see themselves when they should have been looking at Him. They were looking for Israel's kingdom, not Messiah's. And there was probably a bit of laziness mixed in with that. Their ignorance of Scripture. A bit of selfishness. And listen, I find myself right there with them. Because I've always looked at this and go, ah, Jesus, that's, that's a little harsh. I mean, think about everything they've been through. But he doesn't say that. I, I've been there. Probably the reason I, I, I think it's a little harsh is because I don't want my own laziness and my own selfishness to be called out. He says, don't you, you, you ought to understand. It was necessary. He says this in verse 26. It was necessary. Was it not necessary? That word necessary is a small little word in the Greek language and it refers to that which is prophetically necessary. Prophetically essential. It was necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter his glory. It's exactly what the scripture says. You see, when you start to understand this, my friends, when you start to understand that the things that happened to Jesus were not an accident, were not some kind of a tragedy, but a divinely foreordained event, then you'll start to understand why you would read in the Psalms, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. But you understand why his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. And he's like a tree. He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water, yielding its fruit in its proper season, without its leaf withering. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Question, why is it, this has always bothered me, why is it that the man who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night is a blessed man? I just figured this out. It's because Christ... He's a blessed man because he's not going to be shredded by the heat or scorched by fear. Why? Because he's been seasoned in the Word and he knows Christ is come. That's why you delight in the law. That's why you delight in the Scriptures. And he, he, he illuminates their disbelief by pointing them to the words of the Scripture. And then secondly, by preaching himself from the Scripture. And this is such a blessed text. What does he do? He's not told them who he is, friends. Their eyes are still sovereignly prevented from seeing Christ. Why? Because the Lord wants his followers to be tethered to the word of God. I'm using that word tethered intentionally because there's a popular teacher today telling you to untether your belief in Christ from the Bible. It's exactly what Satan would have you to do. Has God said You need to learn to hear the hiss of Satan in the words of preachers today. And if you're here today, 
and you've never become a genuine follower of Christ, I am just rejoicing. I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you this day. I, you are here by divine appointment so that you can see that the resurrection of Christ is not an event to trust by word of mouth, as if there was some repeated spiritual myth. But listen, it is a truth for you to submit to as the declaration of Jesus Christ as God's Son. Why? Because it is exactly what has been spoken for generations throughout the Old Testament. And so what does he do? Look at verse 27. Beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures he begins with moses then he goes throughout throughout the prophets over in verse 44 he includes the psalms as well and he explained to them the things concerning himself he explained it means to clarify it means to interpret accurately think about what we have here we have the greatest preacher preaching the greatest subject from the greatest book ever I pray that the Lord would open our eyes to these things. This must be what the psalmist meant when he said, Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things from your law. And for hours and hours they walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus as he accurately interpreted the Bible to them. Can you imagine? It was Jesus who said in John 5, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me and time is going from us but if time weren't gone if time were no issue i'd take you to acts 8 and show you philip preaching christ from isaiah 53 i'd take you to acts 10 and see peter preaching christ and acts 26 paul preaching christ from the scripture from the scripture from the scripture they always did that that was the apostolic message always back to the scripture back to the bible Not some cleverly devised myth, not some fairy tale, but something that you have generations and generations and generations of recorded, written, propositional truth to look at. And then you look at the life of Jesus and you say, no one could do what this man did. He must be the Son of God. What did he say that day? Well, He talked about the necessity of the suffering of Christ as it was spoken in the Old Testament. Remember, Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 10-12, what did the prophets say? His sufferings and His subsequent glories. It included the suffering, the rising again, the preaching of the message of forgiveness in 24-44. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul refers to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as, quote, according to the Scriptures. How did he do that? How did he do that? Well, you'd be glad to know that I've just gotten to the middle page of my notes now. How did he do that? Remember a couple weeks ago I told you, this is really basic, I know it's elementary for some of you, but I think it's really important. If you want to think of the Old Testament, you can think of it in three ways. The Old Testament consists of covenants, prophecies, and types. Or we might say, promises, predictions, and pictures. Alright? The covenants. God's promises with man. 
And we see this all throughout the Old Testament. Whether you're talking about God's covenant with man, the very first covenant in the Garden of Eden. Whether you're talking about God's covenant with Noah, we call that the Noahic covenant. Where after God destroyed the world with a flood, He, he said, I'll never destroy the world again with, with, with water. And He gave them a rainbow to seal that promise. It's God's interaction. How does God interact with people? He makes promises. Some conditional, some unconditional. The Mosaic covenant, a conditional covenant between God and the nation of Israel. The Abrahamic covenant, God's promise to Abraham to make of him a mighty nation and to give to him a seed and through him, through that seed, the entire world will be blessed. I mean, you, 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 you've got the Davidic covenant. God says to David, I'm going to give you a king and a kingdom. And I imagine... The Lord Jesus Christ in those hours on that road to Emmaus took those foolish men, those, those foolish disciples and, and those who were slow of heart to believe and he began unfolding these covenants and he would say, don't you see that the suffering of Christ is, is, is in these covenants? And don't you see that the necessity of his subsequent glory is in these covenants? And then you got predictions, the prophecies. All these prophecies, you've heard me tell you before, over 300 prophecies, predictions regarding the Messiah in the Old Testament. From Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And I imagine he probably spent some time in there and opened their eyes to make them understand this is referring to the, the seed the, the Messiah seed. Or maybe he told them about Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter, a king out of Israel, and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. Or maybe he talked about the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, and him you shall hear. Or maybe he thought about God's words to David in 2 Samuel 7. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And Jesus, just the greatest preacher, preaching on the greatest subject from the greatest book ever, is just amazing them, showing that Messiah is to come and had to suffer and enter His glory. He would talk about His suffering. He would talk, and I'm just going to keep going here. He would talk about His suffering and all the ways that that was prophesied in the Scripture. He would talk about, don't you know that He must also be raised again? The most quoted verse in the Old Testament, the, 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 the most quoted verse from the Old Testament that's most quoted in the New Testament, Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And I imagine he, he expounded to them Psalm 118, 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the corner stone. I imagine he told them about Daniel 12, 2 and in Psalm 30, verse 3, O Lord, you have brought my, up my soul from the grave. Or Hosea 13, 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. 
Isaiah 53, 12, I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes right now intercession for the transgressors. Can you imagine Jesus just going through the Old Testament scriptures, the covenants, the promises, the the prophecies, the predictions, and then the types, the, the pictures or the patterns, the type is a kind of symbolism in the Old Testament which represents something else, a prophetic symbol. You can see types, that, and, and we don't have to wonder about these types because the New Testament points them out for us. Like Melchizedek is a type, a, a representation of Christ before He's come. The entire, the book of Hebrews tells us the entire sacrificial system is a type. It's pointing us to the Messiah, the Christ who is to come. The Passover, 1 Corinthians 15, 7, is, is a type of Christ. And so he just goes through all of those things. Can you imagine Jesus just saying this? And he didn't, I imagine Jesus didn't even have to look it up. He just, boom, boom, because he wrote it. And he's just telling them all about himself while they still don't know who he is. They don't understand that he is the Christ. The very one that he's talking about, he is. You see how He illuminates their disbelief by pointing them to the prophets and then by preaching himself. Well, as they go on, they're getting closer and closer to Emmaus, probably maybe getting a little bit dark by now. And they say to him, why don't you come and stay with us? We're getting close to the house. Come and stay with us. Stay the night with us. And and it's common, you know, that's common hospitality. But I got to think there's more than hospitality going on here. I got to believe they don't want this sermon to end. They're just listening, and you can keep talking all day, preacher, because I want to listen, I want to hear these things. Something's happening in my heart. Something's resonating in my heart as you're telling me these things. I've always known it, but it was a bit, it was a bit foggy. I've always known it, but it was a bit cloudy. And now you're beginning to make sense. I'm beginning to see more and more. Keep talking, preacher, because this is good. You notice here, he invigorates their devotion. They want him to stay with him. And, and as I imagine bread is being prepared, the meal is being made, we still have some time, I mean, maybe an hour or more while this is being prepared and he's continuing talking. And then they bring the bread out and I can, uh, just, just imagine this with me. They bring the bread out and they don't want to eat because they just, they just want him to keep talking, keep talking. And so they don't do anything and so he's hungry. And so he, he reaches out and he grabs the bread. This would never happen. It would not be something, a guest wouldn't do this, but he reaches out and grabs the bread, and as he breaks it, he begins to give thanks, and when he gives thanks, I know, I know, I know the first words he said, oh, Father, because that's how he taught his disciples to pray, oh, Father, And as he broke the bread to them, people say, well, what was it? Did he, did, as he broke the bread did he, and handed it to them, did they see the nail scars? I don't know. But something happened, and they recognized that it was Christ. The Bible says, verse 31, that this was a sovereign doing. Verse 16, their eyes were prevented. Verse 31, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him And then he was gone. 
something. It, it was not just a nice story. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that was really nice. That's nice. Now, let's go to sleep. Get up the next morning, go to work. That was nice. No, it's none of that. He invigorated their devotion. Do you notice how they speak of their hearts burning? Something happened inside. It's a mix of joy and fear. It, they begin to recognize, they recognize the, the truth of what he was saying. That's right, that's right. They, and, and their hearts resonated with him as he was preaching himself. Our hearts burn. Have your heart ever burned as you heard the truth of Christ? Maybe you remember that time. Someone was preaching to you the gospel. Someone was preaching to you Christ. And you heard it. And you didn't just hear it, but you heard it with faith. You began to believe. And like Wesley said, my heart was strangely warmed. You remember that day, don't you? When you began to believe the truth of Christ, not just as a, as a religious myth, but as it is, the truth of God Himself. You believed. Your heart was burning, aching, yearning within. Really, the Bible says what that is, is their heart was bending. That's what the psalmist says. Their heart was yielding to Him. Their heart was being inclined. Has your heart ever been inclined to the gospel? And not only were their hearts burning, but you'll see, secondly, that they became bold. God allowed their eyes to be prevented from seeing who it was who was with them, and now He allowed their eyes to be opened. He said, they say, wasn't it as He was diagnosing? In fact, that's what it says here. When they say, uh, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road and explaining different word, when he was diagnosing the scriptures, man, Jesus must have been able to diagnose the scriptures and Lord, give us the ability to do that, please. And then they said, we can't remain here. We can't remain here. We got to go on. Someone said, we, can be, we too can be part of the fellowship of the burning heart. They, they decided, you know what, does it matter if it's dark and it's dangerous to go all that road back to Jerusalem? There's robbers, there's thieves in the way, it's difficult. You've got wild animals, you've got the reality. They don't know what they're going back to. Maybe they're going to walk into a trap. Maybe the, Roman, the Romans are waiting for disciples. Maybe they're rounding everybody up. Maybe they're, maybe they're doing something like that. They, they don't care. They, they're going back. They're going back. They've got to tell the, the, the rest of the disciples, it's true. It's true, but as they made the way, and who knows how long that took them, another seven miles to go back. But I'm guessing it took less time going back than it did going there. Remember, I used to ride horses with my pap, and sometimes he'd say, well, the, the horses would just walk, like, we're going out, we come up the road here, and they're going out, and those horses are like, man, you are heavy, this is too much. But as soon as you turn that corner, man, they would... They would light, they would get ready. Pap said, no, don't let them run. You've got to keep them under control. Well, these horses were running. They were going back home. They had some news to bear. And as they go back into the house, wherever it's the upper room or Peter's house, they find the 11. They're all 
congregated together. They're all congregating together. But guess what? They'd already gotten the message because there was a private meeting between Peter and Jesus. We know nothing about that meeting. It was private, but, but probably it was a mix between a woodshed moment and a, and, and a, a loving moment of joy between the Lord and His servant. And they said, we have already heard He's... They said, as they get in, they, they, they're, they're starting to say, guess what, guess what? They're like, he, he is alive. He's risen. Before they even get it out, the, 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 the disciples who are gathered together, the eleven and those who are with them, He's already risen. He's appeared to Simon. And then they said, we, actually, we absolutely believe you. Because let me tell you what happened. They began to relate their experiences. And I don't know if they preached like Jesus did. But I imagine they used the same words and the same scriptures that he did and showed them from the Bible that it was necessary for Christ to suffer. And it was necessary for him to rise again. And then they said, and after all of that, it was only after that that we heard the word that we understood who he was. It's only then that we understood who he was. What's amazing throughout this text, and I'll, I'll cut it off here in just a little while, but what's amazing about this text is you have all these different people in different places, but they're all having the same interactions, coming to the same conclusions. Hmm. We have that same Jesus today. The same Jesus. We have the same Holy Spirit as those disciples did, giving us insight to the Word so that we can understand. You see, Jesus is telling us by this text, He's saying, do not allow your devotion to be driven by experience. Let it be tethered to the Word. You've gone through life like I have. You have the spiritual highs and lows and spiritual highs and lows and you're up and you're down you're up and you're down. And he says, mitigate that a bit. Level that out a little bit. Tether your, 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 your heart. Tie your mind to the Word of God and see that only Jesus can be the one. Only He was born like He was born. Only He lived like He lived. Only He taught how He taught. Healed how He healed. Only He was crucified the way He was. And only He was buried the way that He was. Only He rose again the way that He was. Just like it says in the Scriptures. And you see, that's the secret to developing a deeper devotion for Christ, don't you see? That's the secret for, for deepening your, your devotion for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not having some experience where the little hairs in the back of your neck stand up. Not having a, a light show and a smoke machine in church and having a decent band. It comes from the Word. The Word. And these people would go out, they'd be bold. Some of you need to take a step of boldness today because you've never trusted Christ. And the step of boldness you need to take is to repent of your sin, to renounce it, and turn to Jesus as the only one who possibly could be God's Messiah. The only one who possibly can save you from your sins. The only one who could possibly save you from the condemnation that your sins deserve. That's the bold step you need to take. Turn to Christ. And some of you need to be bold in your following of Him. And you've been so quiet lately. You've not been telling anyone about Christ. You've not been following Him 
diligently. And the boldness you need to take is to open your mouth and start speaking of Christ in your worship and in your praise, in your daily uh, walk with Him and preaching Christ to everyone who comes in contact. Because what? Because of what He says in the Bible. I think it was them understanding the Bible that was the secret to their boldness. And all you have to do is look at the book of Acts and every sermon that was preached was tied directly to the Scriptures. That's what made them bold. And that's what will make you bold today. Wow. Amazing to me that nothing prevented the coming of Messiah. Nothing could hinder Him. Just like God said. There are plenty of obstacles, lots of opposition. Nothing and no one hindered Him. Nothing hindered His sacrificial death. Listen, nothing and no one hindered His bodily resurrection. Nothing and no one, listen, will prevent Him from coming again. Why? Because it's exactly what the Scripture says. He's coming because the Scripture says He is. You can take that to the bank. You can take it to the bank. You can rely on Him. He's coming again. And so be bold. Be devoted. Be a bold, devoted follower of Christ. Be humble in your worship. Give it all up for Him. Lay it on the line. You don't need to fear death, suffering. doesn't matter what it is. Lay it out. He's alive. Just like He said. Let's pray.